Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt, and I'm joined with your other co-host, or my other co-host. The Rob other Hadley. co-host. The other, yes. the other co-host, Rob Halley. Hey, Rob. Hello, Nadia. Um, Rob, you know, we've been, the last few episodes, we've been starting off with me asking like a question. It's kind of like a trivia. Um, yeah, usually about food. Yeah. It's usually about food, but I'm, I'm switching gears on you today. It's not about food. <laughs> so, you know. We're, will you play along? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Of course. So I just want to let you know, too, that I basically went online to find, like, questions, and they all referred me back to, like, dating websites of things to ask, like, your new boyfriend that you're dating. And I was like, this is hilarious. These questions are so great. I'm totally going to ask Rob all these questions. Um, and for listeners, we're not dating. Rob's married. <laughs> so, Which makes it safe to ask these questions. This is true. Yes. So because we're on a podcast, I thought this was fun because no one um, really other unless you go to our website, no one really knows what we look like. So if someone painted a portrait of you, how would it look in terms of like clothes? What's in your background? What's your pose? What else would someone be painting with you in it? It would look like the inclusive collective logo. I would be in a blue (laughs) shirt. I'd have my arms crossed. I'd have a cup of coffee in front of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- exactly how I look today. That's what it would look like. That yeah. it's actually so true. Everyone. So lifelike, right? It's so lifelike. You're not, you don't. The only difference is you have um, headphones on. I feel like the picture doesn't have you wearing headphones. And I appreciate that the artist took time to get the wrinkle in my, <laughs> right between my eyes, like really drew it out. The 11s, we call them. Yeah, the 11s. <laughs> Yeah. That's thank amazing. you to the artist whoever did that. Yeah, appreciate <laughs> Spot it. Spot on. Well, thank you for playing along. So as you recall, we are switching gears. We ended our kind of three episode series on accelerator and incubator um, kind of support for uh, founders in, in the startup world. And we're shifting gears into the uh, venture capital and investor world. And so we're really lucky today because joining us is Senefer Mendoza, who is the founder and general partner of Mendoza Ventures, a pre-seed fintech AI and cybersecurity venture capital firm. Um, After having a career in enterprise sales and hospitality design, Senefer began Mendoza Ventures. She has a really fun story um, that she shares with us. Uh, To really, this organization addresses 
the uh, growing funding gap in the pre-seed investment stage. Senefer um, herself is a published author, innovator, and thought leader in the technology startup and VC space with the passion uh, for equity and diversity. And we are really thrilled to have her join us on Inclusive Collective today. Welcome, Senefer. Thank you so much for having me today. Senefer, great to have you here to talk about Mendoza Ventures, the venture capital firm that you founded. Can you tell us more about Mendoza Ventures' portfolio and a particular focus on diversity? Uh, and how it plays an important role in your investment decisions. Of course. So diversity is discussed at Mendoza Ventures as important as product, market, or team. We openly discuss diversity and inclusion in our investment committee. We also have a general partnership team that's 100% female or minority. And, you know, the stereotypes are true. People, <laughs> bias is a beautiful thing in that it works in two directions. And so that has led to a portfolio where 80% of our CEOs are underrepresented in some way. So we define underrepresented or the, the new term I've heard lately that I really like is underestimated mm. um, as being women, people of color, LBGTQ or immigrants. Um, and so 80% of our CEOs fall into that bucket. Um, and so we started Mendoza Ventures in 2016 after experiencing venture capital and saying, there's a lot that works about the system, but there's a lot that could be more founder-centric. And so we set about to create more transparency, and that has a lot of diversity and inclusion happy accidents. When you, <laughs> when you give people help and you bring in more transparency into the process, you end up naturally elevating more different people that really relied on that transparency for access. Oh, that's great. So what led you to start Mendoza Ventures? I know you said that you folks kind of went through, you and your husband went through that process, but what, what were you observing that um, mm -hmm. made you want to start Mendoza Ventures? Why start the fund in 2016? Um, doesn't every like eight-year-old want to open a venture capital firm? I, I know mean, my eight-year-old does. But. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Rockstar venture capitalist. <laughs> um, or I guess now it's YouTuber. I'm showing my age. Yeah, yeah. yeah influencer. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Why I wasn't I? Yourself, yeah, we date ourselves a lot on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we raised venture capital. And so for us, that experience, especially at the time, was like getting a check kind of like from a black box or an ATM. And you were given your money and then you were held accountable to that money and especially multiplying that money at quarterly board meetings. And, you know, now that I'm older in hindsight is 2020, of course, we made all the founder mistakes that everybody makes when you're running your first business. Like we were technologists who hired the wrong developers, which I think every, every, I don't know a startup that hasn't hired the wrong developers at some point. They all just pitch so well. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, it's, it's a lot like hiring a contractor, like who's going to build your hotel should not be who builds your house. Um, we hired the house guy. <laughs> <laughs> So we fixed that and, you know, all of these little um, learnings cost money and time, which are your two most precious resources in a startup to the point that two years ago, someone came up to us and said, you know, I've been following your career. I invested in your startup and this was a great seasoned technologist and I'm not on the technology side. So I just said, great. Where were you? Like, why didn't mm. you call me and tell me that you had an interest in what I was actually doing? So we, we set about to, to create that. So I would say it feels like 90% of my job is getting founders together with funders who have a vested interest in their business, who can answer a question on a bad day as much as they can celebrate a good day. 
So we have a lot of tacos at Mendoza Ventures where we get, See? We get everybody tacos. together. <laughs> everybody loves tacos. We, always comes back to we, tacos. We actually, it always comes back full circle. Exactly. Tacos are like, they just unplug the room. You know, it's really, cannabis set a tone that we're not looking to set. And if you can spill a taco on your shirt in front of your investor, you can talk about how you broke the code last weekend. That's so true. The uh, so I'm I'm interested. You said that at investment committee meetings, you, you talk as much about inclusion and diversity as product market. How, how does that look, uh, especially at the pre-seed or early stages of a company? What are you looking for in terms of a founder's ability and the capacity to create a company and a brand that's inclusive? So this is my this is my working thesis. After you know, before we made our first investment, I met with about 150 to 200 founders before we chose one to start with. And that ratio has pretty much continued through that for every 150 companies or so that we meet, we invest in one. Wow. So the pattern recognition that I am seeing after years of doing that and having, you know, 13 portfolio companies now <laughs> is that if a CEO or a leader, whoever that person is, can include, they have the ability to rally someone from a wildly different background from themselves to their cause. So they can Go to someone who's had a wildly different life experience and inspire them to spend money because <laughs> I'm a VP, so we always love that. Yeah. Um, join their team, give time, give resources, answer a phone call. And that ability is an amazing precursor to success downstream. Mm -hmm. And no matter what the founding team looks like, if it's homogenous, I worry. If it's all women that went to the same school, mm -hmm. if it's all men that went to the same school, if it's all one ethnicity, if it's all one age group, you know, for us, we always look at diversity as all the things, mm -hmm. age, race. <laughs> um, we never talk about disability when we talk about diversity in tech, but that's part of it. Can you get someone who's really different, who grew up in a different country, who grew up in a different neighborhood to get what you're trying to do and give time to it or resources to it? That isn't, that is the number one. Um, thing that we're looking for. And I think that that also tells about flexibility of thought and ability to adapt in the moment and over the long term. I don't think that, you know, I am not a behavioral scientist and I am not <laughs> standing with a big <laughs> university behind me, but that's the, that's what we've noticed. And we found that um, it's pretty telling. So <clears throat> you mentioned 150 to 200 founders that you've initially kind of will review. How do you seek out those entrepreneurs or how do they seek you out and like what is that network and that you know understanding that you're in like the fintech space the cybersecurity space um the ai space how are they seeking you out or vice versa we're really lucky that we look more like founders than funders and we have great relationships with our companies. And so we're very fortunate that a lot of companies want to work with us. Mm. We are they call it your inbound pipe in VC. And every, first of all, every VC likes to say that there's a pipeline problem because 2% or lower this year of all venture capital goes to women at all. And that's not an inclusive 2% of women. That's just women. Until the graduating classes of all the engineering schools look like the U.S. population, we will have something of a pipeline problem, but it's not as bad as the VC statistics are. Mm. So for us, because we've been out here and doing this for a little while, if a woman is opening a cybersecurity company, she has probably heard of me at oh. some point. 
If she hasn't, I'm probably going to, just because of who I am, I'll probably be the one to tackle her at the RSA floor or something like that. Yeah. Um, I love and that. It's not me. And in a, in a very inclusive way. <laughs> we'll, yeah, exactly. we'll tackle her in a very inclusive way. <laughs> yes, exactly. We are your funders lovingly and with support. <laughs> yeah. If not me, they know one of our founders, they know one of our investors, they know one of the corporations that we've partnered with. And then we also have, because relying on your own personal network is the best way to stop including people. So we have a policy that every partner at Mendoza Ventures has to what we call break your network once a quarter. Mm. Um, and I would say that we're hitting about once every month. I went to my first um, RSA conference. I did not grow up in cybersecurity. That was breaking my network for me as an investor. That would not break the network for some of my partners who are more cybersecurity friendly. You know, if you graduated from Harvard, you can't lecture at Harvard. That's not breaking your network. You have to lecture at a school you didn't go to in a neighborhood that you didn't grow up in. That's how you break your network. And that has been a really beautiful experience that we've put our partnership team through because we don't want to, you know, I, I started this and I don't want to end up, you know, in a back office behind three people when someone needs help. I love that. Like that to me is reinforcing your DE&I values at Mendoza Ventures. And I, I'm just curious, are there other ways that you, are there other um, ways in which you reinforce those values so that the mission and the vision stay strong? Yes. Well, we started with the two of us. And so we had a hundred percent inclusion. Yes. <laughs> Everyone at Mendoza Ventures was a woman or a Mexican American. Yeah. <laughs> so I think at the time we, and so that the bar was set very high. <laughs> um, we actually, Adam Kerr joined us a few years later and he was, we called him our diversity hire because he nice. was the first white man to start working <laughs> nice. here. We were like, we need one. Knowing that the bar was set there, I think two things happened. The first is that we really set out with a thesis around founders mm-hmm. and we vastly underestimated the impact of us just opening a venture capital firm full stop. Like I think Anyone who's underrepresented in any way reads the statistics and then you have like a Tuesday and you're like, oh, that's what the statistics feel like. It actually feels like this to be this very slim minority. One percent of all GPs at all are female. Mm -hmm. And that does not mean that they manage one percent of the capital. It doesn't mean that that's an inclusive one percent. I think I'm the only one in Boston that didn't go to HBS that Mm -hmm. I know of. Um, And so that's not great where we're starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we had underestimated that we would really draw transparency to the industry just by doing it. So mm-hmm. that that was something that surprised me, but I think it would surprise me because I'm a white woman from New England. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, that's an expected reaction, I think, for anyone without my background. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second thing is that knowing how many people took phone calls from us, how many people talked to us about fund construction? Mm-hmm. How many organizations ran emerging manager boot camps? Um, we did ours through NAIC. So we did like the private equity version before emerging manager boot camp was real. We did the private equity one. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, knowing all that, how could we provide that at every turn? So we're sort of in the middle of our capital stack. So when we look at founders, we say, how are we pulling people up to us mm-hmm. who look like us? So our logo is kind of, um, I have on my water bottle. 
they can't see it on the podcast, but if you look at Mendoza Ventures, we have this cool blobby logo mm -hmm. because my dream is that if someone comes in as a founder, they grow and they become a funder. Or mm -hmm. if someone leaves one of our startups and they need capital, they come to us. So how do we pull our founders up into the capital stack? But then also, how do we pull ourselves up by finding investors in us and making that as flexible as possible so that the people who are funding our startups look like our startups? Mm. Our goal is to really, venture capital has the unique ability to be insanely risky and potentially create generational wealth. And so how can we create generational wealth in the U.S. that looks like the population of the U.S. is by diversifying access to these, yes, risky, but when responsibly invested, sometimes very lucrative revenue streams. And so we've done everything that we can on both sides to try and diversify who's investing in us and then also who we're investing in through the firm. That felt mm. long-winded. Did it make sense? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Totally yeah. Did. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. And I think it's it, you're leading into I mean, that's, that's one of the questions I had was, you know, we're talking about the fact that, you know, there aren't a significant number of decision makers in venture capital that are women that are uh, Latinx. Uh, so I'm interested in what you see as the challenges of, of, of changing that capital stack throughout as well, right? So what are the challenges in terms of changing representation at the, obviously, the general partner level? But I'm also interested in the limited partner level as well. Um, and then and then founders, if you have thoughts on that as well. It's not designed to be inclusive. You know, mm -hmm. we're we're putting inclusion into something that was created so that the wealthy could have a financial playground mm -hmm. um, in order to grow more wealth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and so I think honestly. There's so much here. We could talk about this for like five hours. I know. That's a, that's a, there's a lot there. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Just, yeah, really. Wherever easy you want to go. No. Yeah. <laughs> the, the number one barrier is that you have to be able to set fire to that money in order to be able to take the risk to access the potential return. That's an obvious barrier. Mm. Therein lies getting rid of 99.9% .9 of the U.S. population because who can realistically set fire to 10000 dollars any given week and have it just be fine. So, mm -hmm. so, but then even within that subset, there's really underrepresented women, people of color, all those things. Inclusion is never perfect. Whenever we talk about these big capital stack issues, everyone's always looking for the silver bullet. Like what is the one kindergarten program that I can implement that will make sure that every woman that goes through that kindergarten is going to be an LP? And the fact of the matter is, it's like a preschool through post-grad slash wage issues slash gender issues mm -hmm. problem. And so wh what we do is we do what we can with what we have, and we hope to create impact with that. So on our second fund, once we had raised $10 million, what I could do was drop the minimum until I hit 99 LPs. And so I opened the door, and every woman that I talked to in the year of raising that fund I called her and I said, okay, no minimum. Can you come? Like, I don't, I don't care how much it is. Can I, can I start teaching you venture capital? Can yeah. you start learning how to do this? Can you meet these people and come with us so that I can represent you as an LP? And so on our third fund now, we're doing a very similar thing. It's a larger fund. So we're doing a sidecar fund where we're also bringing individuals along with institutional and corporate investors to create access to that growth stage venture capital that they usually wouldn't have access to. 
Mm-hmm. Those individuals are at least upper, upper middle class. Mm-hmm. Is it perfect? No. But I also don't think that, you know, crowdsourcing is always a perfect solution either because it's not teaching the LP experience. So it's, it's going to take all the things to fix this. It's not, mm-hmm. we don't have the perfect solution. Another VC firm doesn't. It's going to take all of us fixing it all the time to mm-hmm. move this needle. So on on that same kind of realm, you've just kind of said some barriers or challenges that exist. What are you kind of excited about or what are some shifts that you're seeing in kind of that VC world that you're hopeful for the future in terms of um, folks that are part of that underestimated group? I have a male CEO this week that has a very male team. He's an AI. There's a lot of engineers. And it's something that he's been really struggling with. Of, you know, I built the team. It's, it's a great team. How do I diversify from here? And when we invested, you know, we said, this is going to be part of our conversation. We're going to work on this. And he just proposed three female advisors to his board this mm-hmm. week. Wow. Hyper qualified, amazing women that are going to lean in and help this company. And so the one female engineer that's there now just got transparency on her board of women that look like her. That is what I'm excited about. I'm excited about doing that every day because, and I'm so proud of him because it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone always talks about inclusion, like it's over the rainbow and it's really just like successive, painfully awkward conversations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) And um, he's bringing more women onto his team. Like that would not have happened. I don't, I don't think any other VC without, women with equal voice on their investment committee would push a founder to even think about that in the stuff that they're already, you know, they're already trying to grow a company. They're already trying to develop sales and make sure their team stays while Meta's trying to hire everyone. You know, they have enough going Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. It can feel like an extra thing, but when the check comes from someone that looks different from them and they're responsible to that, it changes the tone completely. And as many women as I can get to do this on in any area of their life, mm. I am excited about that. That's awesome. So, um, Senefer, we've heard stories from founders, um, some, some of the guests that we've interviewed um, and some other folks that we've talked to. And one of the terms that we keep hearing is this cultural disconnect between like the types of ideas that underrepresented founders have and that disconnect that VCs may not get like what they're trying to to do or go for. And oftentimes um, that leads to like bias in questions or bias in kind of the decision making. Do you have any tips for other like VCs in how to mitigate some of that bias or what are some of the things that Mendoza Ventures does to help mitigate that bias? Well, we have a diverse investment committee. And that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, my tip for other VCs is diversify your investment committee. That is a loaded thing to say because as you grow in partnership in VC, a lot of the time there's a financial requirement that goes along with that. And so by asking them to diversify their investment committee, I am also asking them to be flexible on what that financial requirement looks like. Mm. Um, because if you have financial obligations of a first generation family, it's harder to come up with that. And that is your buy-in to partnership at VC. And so a lot of people are not transparent about that part of the industry. And so it's 
it's easy to say you should hire these people, but once you're, it's a lot like senior law firms. There's also a financial mm. commitment once you get to a certain level that they need to figure out. Sure. Um, so we, we have a diverse investment committee that helps also to the founders. I say, look at who you're talking to. And if they have not funded anybody that looks like you, it's 2022. Like, it's not like they haven't met one. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and so ask them. If you're living under a rock, maybe, but (laughs) well, or if you just graduated from Stanford and all your friends graduated from Stanford and you know, you're working Mm -hmm. at a place that your parents knew or whatever it is, those those networks are very self-sustaining. And so if they don't have a track record of funding people that look like you, then that don't waste your time is what I would tell the founder. And I would also back channel all the VCs that you're talking to with people that they have funded to see what their experience is like, because founders have to stick together and help each other. And, you know, the VC will always tell you, I'll tell you that we're going to provide a great experience, but um, you really have to go to the founders to see what that experience played out like over five years of sitting on a board with someone through, you know, at the rate we're going like 23 recessions in that amount of time. (laughs) With another one coming. Okay. Um, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, 24. <laughs> it was up. It'll, it be, it'll be here soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, just along those lines. And, and so I, that led me to another question was I heard an interview with your, your partner, who's also your husband. Uh, and he said something to the effect that now is the time to be selective as a founder in terms of from who you take capital from. And so as you move into recessionary pressures and, and if there's pull back in terms of the investments uh, that are out there. You know, we, we had a woman ask us at one point, Nadia and I, she was meeting with the VC and she was, you know, they had no female representation at, you know, within the VC and they hadn't funded any female entrepreneurs. And, you know, she reached out to other portfolio companies that they had funded. And they said, if that's something you're interested in, these aren't your, your guys, like you're literally your guys. And, yeah, they were guys. and, so, and, and she was torn <laughs> yeah. because this was, because obviously she, she, wanted the investment and they were seemed very interested in making that investment. And so, so if you don't want to say no outright, if you want to be part of the change at, at a particular firm, what, what, what counsel would you give a woman uh, in that position? Or would you just say walk away from it? I mean, so here's the tricky thing we have in terms of the market of VC, we have a more diverse group of VCs than we've ever had in history. That does not mean that that group of VCs is yet fully capable of funding something from pre-seed through IPO. Mm. So at some point, if you want to take the traditional venture capital route, you will have to interface with the traditional venture capital system. Mm. If it's important to you, put it in your term sheet. You can say, you know, this VC will help me diversify my team or this, my board seat as appointed by this VC will be prioritized or given to a woman or person of color. So you can make that a term of the investment so that you can hold true to the values of your company while, and that should be a pretty open conversation because let's be real, she's doing them a huge favor too. Right. She's giving them, she's saving them from being the next like crypto announcement, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's name names. <laughs> I wonder who you're going to name there, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I had, there were 10 names in my head <laughs> that I'm going to see all of them in the next week. <laughs> that's hilarious. But she could, you know, she's offering them a lot too. And so figure out what she needs from them and then put it in the, put it in the terms. That's great. 
So, Senator, we heard the great news that you were recently selected as a member of the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship Board. Um, what does this mean to you? First of all, what is it and what does it mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> it means that uh, we're going to fix the government like all the other councils. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, I haven't had my first meeting yet, so, so let me circle back on that. <laughs> I'm going to text you from Washington, D.C., Nadia, and be like, I, I love that. Yeah. Um, one of the really beautiful things about the United States is that we have an infrastructure that encourages entrepreneurship and innovation on all levels. This is a council that's really focused on ensuring that because in terms of a global marketplace, it gives us a great competitive edge. And it does so many amazing things for people that live here. And so it's making sure that we're encouraging that through policies and through actions that the U.S. government takes and that we're not shutting it down or anything like that. So I'm excited because it's a really diverse crew. It's a bunch of corporate people and some feces and some founders and things like that. So it should be a really interesting, interesting group. And we kick off in D.C. in July. So. Maybe my most favorite part is I have to go and stay in a hotel for a couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> so that's far. exciting. And it's a two-year um, two appointment? Yeah, so you it's have a two, two years year to fix everything. So we'll meet back two here. Year. I can do it. Yeah, we'll meet back here in two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's It's great. a good we'll crew. If you look at the website, it's a really good group. I think this group could fix a lot in two years. Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, so as we, as we kind of round it out here uh, and, and finish up, Senefer, Obviously, you work with these underestimated founders and other venture capitalists. Any resources or podcasts, books, things that you would recommend in order to facilitate their understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion in this space? Yes. Can I post a, I'll post a list on my LinkedIn. Oh. Because, of course, you asked me and now I'm totally Amazing. Like... <laughs> That's I even think, better. You know, the big thing, yeah. the big thing for me is that I... Well, first of all, we're both parents, so we get really tired and we read terrible books. Like I'm reading Tom Clancy right now, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> but the big thing for me is that you can read about inclusion all day long and that's very comfortable. And you can talk about inclusion all day long. What I want people to do that listen to this podcast is the next time they walk into any room, think about who may not have the opportunity to walk into that room that they know and bring them. Mm. That is 10 times more important than reading a book. I love that. I love that. And, and you've already provided so much advice. And even just that was so much that was um, what you offered there was such a great piece of suggestion. Is there anything else in terms of advice that you would give to an entrepreneur or a person working in um, in the VC world? Um, advice for what I'm like, don't drink too much coffee. Make sure you hydrate. <laughs> just in, in terms too of late. Tea and I, yeah. yeah. Any other <laughs> last minute pieces of advice that you want to offer or share? It's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, I think that that's the hardest, the hardest part about this is that the reason that the stats are so bad is that no one wants to be a bad guy. Like no one really that I know, even in venture capital wakes up in the morning and says, I really want to mess up someone's day to day. Like yeah. very few people on the planet, there are a couple, but very few people on the planet actually get out of bed like that in the morning. And so I would say, think about how you can be proactive in your inclusion and just try to do one thing and know you're going to mess it up. Like it's guaranteed that you're going to mess it up. I've messed up so many things <laughs> and 
and it's going to lead to painfully awkward conversations and that that's okay. That's just part of the process, but keep doing it and keep trying. My background is in hospitality. And I think that that set me up for inclusion because the baseline in hospitality is dealing with tired people that just got off of airplanes that can't figure out how to work a room key. And so if you can put yourself in their shoes for a minute and just try to include them and know that it won't be perfect, just keep trying it and it will improve over time. That's great. Awesome. Well, Sennifer, this was amazing. We appreciate your time. Thank you for joining the Inclusive Collective Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Reflection section of our episode where Rob and I reflect on the conversation we had with our guest, Senefer Mendoza. Rob, I really uh, appreciated Senefer's insights and thoughts and really transparency in everything she was sharing and her observations in the VC investor space. Not that I'm surprised by a lot of it, but it was really, it was, what's the word I'm looking for? Astounding, alarming, delightful. No, I, I think I, I just, again, I just appreciate the fact that she is being transparent with what happens in that space and how she's her and her partner um, and Mendoza Ventures are really trying to elevate um, some of the underrepresented or underestimated, as she kind of referred to, founders and entrepreneurs trying to really make some waves in the startup space. What were some of your takeaways or thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think. So one, first, we've talked to founders. We've talked to those that have been responsible for founder networks and accelerators as well. So it was nice to get the check writer uh, with us today, right? So yeah, actually totally. putting the investment funds to work. I think once you get over the, I, I think I'm still thinking about the fact that this is the first uh, mm. Latinx or Mexican-American owned fund on the East Coast. I don't think uh, that's that's still shocking to me, um, but I think it gives us some indication of of where that industry is and the fact that it's got a long way to go. Right. I and and of course, you know. So I think it's great. You talked about transparency. They're very they're very demographically transparent about the companies that they're funding, and I think that that's really incredible because it it helps everyone, right? In terms of their investors know, you know what their money, where their money is going and, and, and who it's impacting. I think other founders, people that are starting companies and, you know, maybe looking for investment can see who yeah. they've founded. And, and so their commitment as well, and, and the kind of people that they're going to be working with and to be peers to. So that transparency, I think is, is, is somewhat, uh, is, is very welcome. And I think really important. And it's very important in terms of what they're trying to do as well. So, yeah. um, and then, and then my favorite thing, obviously the thing that was most really actionable, mm. I think is the first thing that anyone said that like I was immediately like, oh, I need to do that immediately was the fact that they go out and try to, as she said, at least once a month, try to break their network, right? They, they, I they knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, they very yeah. intentionally go out and try to find organizations, groups, contacts, whatever, to be with and spend time with that are outside of, of, of their normal network. And, they, very, and they, they hold themselves accountable to be able to do that. And they come back and reflect upon it as well with, with, within yeah. that team. And so I think that all of us can 
I think the world would be a better place if we all vowed to break our networks uh, once a month and and then reflected upon it. Ah, that's a great tip right there, right? Um, absolutely. And and I appreciate that too, because it speaks to the values uh, and the really the culture formation that they have at Mendoza Venture. So I like that. Actually, as a tip, right? Everyone go break your network once a month. Um, I think we regardless. need to break our network a little bit. We yeah. should. Let's, let's, let's put... Let's role model this. Yeah. No, what, we'll come back. We'll, yeah, we'll, let's, let's, let's figure out how to do it. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> Very good. Well, um, uh, you know, that's a wrap on this week's episode. We want to thank Senefer Mendoza of uh, Mendoza Ventures for joining us on the Inclusive Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Uh, better yet, share it with your friends. Um, share. If you have, right, share away. If you have feedback for us, um, you can go ahead and email us at info at refilion.com. Check us out on Insta at, um, in, at Inclusive Collective Podcast, all one word. Inclusive Collective is produced by Refilion Media. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. I'm Nadia Butt. And I'm Rob Hadley. We'll see you next week.